Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We love passion. And we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and relationships. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters. And we all deserve it. So... Where are you getting your sex education? Is it relatable, reliable, or relevant? The importance of finding credible information about sex and sexuality is key to our personal growth throughout our lifespan, and it changes as we grow, mature, and age passionately. So on today's show, as we get back into the back-to-school mode, we're going to find out more about how sex educators stay informed about sex education and prepare the appropriate curriculum to get the right message out there in a frank and meaningful manner. And we sure are, and boy, do we have an expert guest on today's show. But before we get into today's show, let's take a minute to talk about our top waterproof blanket like we do every show because everybody should continue to have great sex now more than ever. But if you're fed up with sleeping in the wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils to silicone lubes or any other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely, go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and boy, do we have an amazing guest for you today. Stephanie Middleman is a coach and teacher on sexual health, training teachers, nurses, and frontline workers across the country. But above all, her work focuses primarily on prevention issues and healthy relationships. Miss Stephanie, a good friend of ours, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day and week for being here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. So Stephanie, how has this coronavirus changed your life in the last few months? That's a great question. Um, I think... Like most people, we're trying to figure out what the new normal is <laughs> and what the new day, you know, sort of looks like. And there have been uh, personal changes and there have been professional changes. Uh, personally, I have been really blessed to enjoy this time at home with my family. Yes. Um, so have. that's been a really, yeah, it's been a really nice silver lining. And I have realized how fast paced life really is. Um, and so this time has given me a chance to sort of slow down and enjoy these moments. Um, but now professionally, the, the really big shift is that I often teach in person uh, at the universities. I teach several courses and I teach parents uh, and kids in person. And now we need to shift everything to an online format, at least for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the challenge has really been about how do you um, take stuff that is so sensitive and so personal uh, and that you do in person and you change it to a format that is online um, and still interactive and still educational and still engaging. So I I can't claim to be an expert at that yet. Uh, I'm still sort of working through how to how to do this, but I'm learning. I, this has been an intense time of learning for me about how to use these new formats. Well, that's great. And the technology today is is advancing day and day, I think, right? It's more and more of these platforms are coming out there where we can speak to each other, we can see each other uh, on big screens, on small screens, on your phone, wherever you might be. And have you found that your relationship with your husband has gotten a little bit more intimate and close? Or are you driving each other crazy? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think we're driving each other crazy. We were quite blessed in that... Um, he was able to go to his office as well. And I have an office in our home too. So um, he works alone. So he, he had a place to go. So I think a lot of couples have really been, you know, on top of each other mm-hmm. <laughs> you yes. know, pretty much for months, but that really hasn't been our case. Um, so no, I'm happy to report that we're not driving each other crazy. <laughs> um, 
And certainly it does, you know, just, just the time together and our whole family, like all the kids came back, um, you know, we're in a blended family and we have, you know, grown children, but everyone came back mm -hmm. for the quarantine. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting sort of time. So I think as a family, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, intimate moments. We've had our fights, but we've had our intimate moments. <laughs> we've, too. We've, we've had a yeah. lot of good shows recently. And Carol and I have also noticed it. And, and we do work from home and we have for a long time. But we've noticed that the level of communication and, and the way we communicate has definitely changed um, over the last two or three months because um, you don't have the option to just say, okay, I'm going out with the boys. I'm going here. I'm going to a restaurant. You actually have to spend time together. And when shit comes up, you got to deal with it. Yeah, and you, and work you have it to out. have that great communication to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. I guess I hadn't sort of stopped to realize that, but I think you're very correct here like i think our communication has become much more real mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> much more honest in a lot of ways you know it's like okay we're not going to flower around this we need to deal with things so right. i think honesty has really grown out of this situation mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. absolutely which is great and makeup sex has been fantastic <laughs> <laughs> of course carol's, carol's getting better at it so stephanie let, let's move on i am changing the topic here let's move on tell us a little bit about how you got into the sex education field a, it's such a great question, but the, the truth is, is that I was really quite young and captivated by the field of sexuality. Um, I, I was a teenager when I discovered this field, um, and it was the only thing that sort of made sense. It was the only thing that was of interest to me. Um, I mean, my family likes to laugh. I became a professor at the age of 25 mm -hmm. in a graduate program at McGill, but I was that kid that um, was at risk of not graduating high school. Wow. Right. I just, you know, it's not, it was never a question of smarts. It was a question of nothing really interested me. Wow. Um, and then in my um, late adolescence, I discovered psychology. And then um, I started taking a whole bunch of courses in college around sexuality. And I had a professor at that time who was very astute. And I remember him saying to me, you know, there's this whole field called sexology you can go into. And I went, what? <laughs> so I was 18. Um, and so this, this path had been carved out for me and it piqued my interest so much to talk about things that other people were not comfortable to talk about and to understand human behavior and to understand why we did what we did or didn't do what we did. Um, and so I never knew exactly where I'd end up and I still don't, mm. right? Like the, the field is evolving. My role within the field, the jobs that I do is evolving. Um, but I always knew I was going to work in the field of sexuality. Mm. Um, so I've been lucky to, you know, I think this is my 22nd year, wow. you know, doing wow. this, um, and it's changing, but I, but I get to deal with these subjects that I just, I still find fascinating. So if you've uh, been in this field for so long, you must have seen so many changes in sex education itself from uh, yeah. in the whole time that you've been working it. Tell us a little bit about how things have evolved as an attitude in our culture. That's also a great question. Um, I, I came in at the time when there was a real push around HIV AIDS education. Um, so 20 years ago, that was sort of the, you know, the, the real push behind it. Um, it was always about risk reduction that was sort of the models we were using then. Um, and for a short time, there wasn't as much pushback around sex ed because we had this virus that was, you know, at that time seen very much as deadly. Yeah. And so all the sort of moralistic issues around this was sort of put to the side. Okay. Um, we've seen some of the morality and some of the politics come back, though. You know, it's like this pendulum swings around, well, you know, uh, we don't really want to talk about sex because we're afraid that, you know, we're going to encourage kids to do it. <laughs> we're going to yeah. give them the wrong idea, which research after research tells us that's not the case. But still, there's there's often this sort of morality that comes in, which is, you know, based in fear that, you know, if we start talking about this stuff, we're going to give kids the, you know, the impression it's OK or we're going to give them ideas that they didn't know about before. Um, the real focus today, though, is that, you know, we can't be so moralistic about this because what we have today we didn't have 20 years ago is the presence of the internet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know and that's so powerful in so many ways for getting information if it's accurate um but if it's not accurate as it often isn't um or people have access to imagery or you know issues in porn for example um long before they're having their own sexual experiences 
then it becomes much more problematic. So there's still a pushback to sex ed, depending on who you talk to and what province or state or city or country you live in. Um, there's a lot of politics around it. Um, but I think we're probably more on board for teaching it across the board than maybe we were 20 years ago. And I guess with that health issue, uh, how has that AIDS health issue changed in the fact that changed the morality to swing back to less risk management? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, at that time there was, there was a real push to teach this because there was something that could kill you was right. really the, you know, the, the basic premise of it. Um, today there's much more of a less safe fair attitude, like much more of a relaxed attitude around HIV and AIDS. Um, because the treatments have been so incredibly successful, okay. um, which is wonderful on, yeah. on the one hand, and yeah. we have millions of people around the world that live with HIV, um, but we also have a whole generation of people that have never seen someone die mm -hmm. from this virus mm -hmm. um, who don't understand how it can get from person to person um, and who may believe that, well, you know, if I catch it, it's no big deal because there are medicines or there are treatments or maybe even a cure around the corner. Right. Yeah. Um, but also so there's a, a relaxed attitude. Right. But also we see, I mean, in the swinger community that like condoms are a non-negotiable. They're just there. And we've now gone through one, two, three generations where um, to not have a condom is not cool. Having a condom, being out there, being responsible is the way young people are being taught today, not because of the, the chance of, of catching a disease, but because it's the right thing to do. Well, and I love listening to you and I love hearing this, um, but I'm not sure it's the same thing that I see with the youth. Interesting. Um, you know, maybe in the swimming in the swingers community, uh, you know, it's a non-negotiable but I still think that there's a very large stigma, unfortunately, with youth around condom use, where I would argue there certainly shouldn't be. Right, <laughs> right? Right. But there's this idea of like, if I pull out a condom, people still look at each other like, well, what, you think there's something wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are you saying there's something wrong with you? Or, you know, there's all the stigma around it. I guess we're so um, far out of touch with that. I mean, we, we wherever we go, the clubs, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the yeah. hotels, everybody provides condoms and lube for everyone and nobody thinks twice it's like okay I, I'm, I need six of them because I'm gonna fuck <laughs> six other people but I mean it's just it's just the world we live in yeah absolutely yeah and that's not the youth's experience mm. necessarily it may be the case for some which mm -hmm. is great mm -hmm. but most of the time we're talking about I mean you guys and certainly people in the swingers community or this is my impression would be much more comfortable with their bodies yeah much more comfortable with sexuality much more comfortable setting their own boundaries with saying no and also how to enthusiastically say yes. Right. Um, right. But these are all the skills that are really new and quite awkward when any of us start playing with our bodies sexually. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, absolutely. To be able to say like, you know, I need a condom or I want a condom or it's a non-negotiable. It's like everything is awkward when you're younger and just getting started sure because you don't really know you don't really know how you're going to deal with it when it comes up but i just i just thought of something i can remember growing up where a lot of the uh talk around sex is just say no is abstinence something that's being taught anywhere these days um well certainly it's it's mandated to be taught exclusively in the u.s okay um so believe it or not in 2020 uh, and we hope to see the pendulum swing from this uh, you know who knows what the future holds at this point but um, schools really only receive funding, as far as I understand, in the U.S. for programs that are abstinence only, wow. which say just say no. Mm -hmm. um, in Canada, things and lots of other parts of the world, things are quite different. Um, in Canada, we have what's called a comprehensive sex education program that will include benefits of delaying sex. So the, the, the purpose is not to say no, but there are benefits to delaying certainly penetration until one is older, both physically and emotionally. But that's one part of a larger program that looks at how do you protect yourself? How do you have healthy relationships? How do you negotiate? Right, um, right. All of those and, things. And all sorts of things. Yeah. So it's a part of what we talk about here, but it's certainly not exclusive. So there's obviously a curriculum or um, a time frame as to when you have to teach all these different things you just talked about. What, what are the age appropriate sex topics that we could expect in a, in a comprehensive program like you just discussed? 
Well, I, I think everybody should be learning about sexuality from the time they're born. <laughs> so yes, we agree. My, yes. you know, my perspective. Um, and that, of course, will vary from home to home. Um, but in Canada, um, there are also differences that are left to the provincial levels. So in Canada, it is stated that, you know, everybody should be getting sex education. Um, and, you know, in the primary schools, the elementary schools, the word sex is really confused, right? Like we say sex education. I think we got that wrong a long time ago. We should have just called this like healthy relationships mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then everybody would be like way more relaxed. Um, but what they're learning about when they're younger is things like boundaries and safety uh, and respect and how to have relationships and how to say no or how to report or, you know, how to negotiate friendships which are all the foundational things that they need for, you know, dating and intimate and sexual relationships later on. Um, so it is mandated across Canada that everyone has some sort of, you know, prevention and, and health education. Uh, and then there are further mandates by province. So in Quebec, where, where I live, the program became mandatory as of last year where everybody has to learn, and there's a very specific curriculum um, from K to 11. And so K was optional, but everyone sort of jumped on the bandwagon anyways for it. Um, but essentially, they're learning these concepts from kindergarten on. And at what point are they actually talking about sex and the biological changes in your body for adolescence and things like that? What age is that? Um, well, in the Quebec program, they start talking about um, bodies and sex just from memory because it's actually a very elaborate program. Okay. Um, in the elementary level, there are 19 lessons mm -hmm. um, split over the five years. So it's quite elaborate. But by grade two, we're talking about things like pregnancy and how babies are made. Mm -hmm. um, so and good. that yeah. one... Well, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, felt that way. And a lot of people were really freaked out about that. It's like we're supposed to talk to, you know, seven or eight-year-olds about how babies are made. And that was a really stressful thing for teachers. Mm -hmm. um, but what was going on is often there is, you know, a mom close by or within the group who's also pregnant at mm -hmm. that time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know. And so that's why they thought, you know, grade one, grade two is a good time to really sort of start talking about, you know, how babies grow inside the womb, yeah. you know, and how babies are born. And I think what people got really nervous about is, you know, how much detail do we give? Do we have to, you know, talk about penis and a vagina and all this sort of stuff? Um, where, in fact, it's, you know, you can teach almost anything as long as it's developmentally appropriate. Right. So you don't have to give all the ins and outs to an eight-year-old, right? But we can talk about how, you know, a baby grows inside a mummy's womb. And and one of these areas here, right away, that we, we tend to say, look, it grows inside mummy's tummy. That's a cute yeah. way that we say it, right? But we often don't realize that um, kids then start, that's a very early starting point for kids getting this confused because when we talk about a baby grows inside a mummy's tummy how do things get into the tummy it's through the mouth right 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 yeah and then we start seeing them later on where they think that things like kissing or oral sex can lead to pregnancy oh, okay gotcha yes right yes. you see that talk about having growing in tummies right right so it's really at the early age that we want to start talking about, you know, the right body parts. So, you know, the tummy is sort of higher up and the, you know, the womb, um, it's also called the uterus, is a little bit lower down. But it kind of looks like it's all in the same area. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the tummy is for not. food and the, the womb is for the baby. Make it very clear. That's exactly it. So yeah. anything that goes into your mouth will go down to your stomach, yeah. your tummy. Right. So how do we get into the womb? Right. That's through another hole called the vagina. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. of those and things, too. So yeah, I'm just gonna, sort of the beginning stage, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is also fascinating. We're just going to ask you to hold that thought for a moment while we remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we are talking with Stephanie Middleman. Well, she's an expert on sex education, especially for young people and all the way through to university teachers and everyone else as well. And we're going to continue our discussion after this break, and we're going to be talking more about how parents' role can make a big effect on learning.
Lube, lube, lube. You know we're always talking about lube and how we use lube every time we play because it makes our sex better, hotter, and longer lasting. Well, we want to make sure you're using lube too. And not just any lube. We all know that there's many types of lube out there. You have to pick wisely. Earlier this year, we discovered a new lube and it's become our go-to favorite. It's Promescent Organic Lube. And wow, what a game changer. For me, the most important aspect is that it's tasteless because you all know how much I love to suck cock. And I always start off with a handful of lube to get things going. You know what I mean? So it needs to be smooth and silky and tasteless. Mm, And it feels so good on my clit and pussy too. Yeah, and it keeps us going and going while we keep coming and coming. Mm, We love that. And it's safe for toys and condoms as well. And we know you want better sex too. So go to thesexylifestyle.com for more information about Promescent Organic Lube along with their full range of other sexual health and wellness products. And simply order yours today because great sex matters and we all deserve it. Alrighty, we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David and we are talking with sex education specialist Stephanie Middleman as we continue our discussions about sex education and the role of parental input with respect to teaching sex education. That's a mouthful for me. There's a lot of (laughs) words there with more than six letters, hon. It's all good, hon. So, Stephanie, let's talk about the difference between sex education for teachers versus parents. This is a really um, central point that I spend a lot of time talking to both teachers and parents about. Um, because primarily uh, both play an important role in terms of giving out information that is accurate. Um, But the real difference is that uh, it is a parent's role to share and impart their values onto their children. Whereas it's important that teachers are not imparting their values (laughs) onto the students. So if I can elaborate, you know, sexuality is really rooted in our sense of, you know, what's right and wrong. It's, you know, based on our society, our culture, our religion. Um, We have all sorts of forces telling us if something's okay or not okay, right? That's, you know, what we mean by values. Um, And people have really, really strong opinions on a number of issues, whether it's abortion or gay marriage or anal sex or you know, uh, living together, you know, before you're married or, you know, any, they might have issues, you know, or thoughts about swinging or about open relationships. Like there's a lot of feelings that sexual issues bring up for people. Um, it's the role of parents to impart to their kids what they think is okay or not okay. Right. And what they think is important to them. Uh, as opposed to teachers imparting what they think mm-hmm. is important to a room of 30 students who may come from very different yeah. perspectives and very different backgrounds. But right? Stephanie, Stephanie so if, I, I, if I can just interject for a second. Sure. Parents like Carol and myself and our parents weren't taught sex, sex education. So how does a parent know what they don't know to talk to their kids about? Well, they can have their opinions, and that's what you're sticking to, right? They have their opinions about what they're learning at school? No, no. My, my, question, my question is, how could the parents know about what's right or not right for their kids if they haven't been taught it? I, I totally see what you're getting at. Um, and sex ed happens on two levels. One, it's about the information, and the other, it's about the values, Right. So the information might be in the stuff they maybe didn't get was around, you know, what might be the most effective birth control to use, for example. Right. But the value piece is whether or not it's okay if your kid takes birth control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's the message. Right. So some parents might say, you know, your body's important. uh, You know, we want you to stay protected. Your sexuality is important. I will take you to the clinic and you can, you know, get birth control. And there might be other parents that say, you know, we're not talking about this. We're not doing this. You can't have access to this. You shouldn't be doing this. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the um, sharing of the values. So it's one thing to know, you know, the answers to all the questions. Another thing and how we talk about it and the messages, you know, that we give. And I know there's like a lot of parents who have the point of view that they're so glad that 
the school is teaching about sex ed because there's no way they could even possibly imagine talking to their kid about a penis going into a vagina, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still not good that they don't want to even engage in the discussion with their children. It's nice that the facts come up elsewhere, but they should support them with questions coming home from the children too. Yeah, that's really an optimal situation, right? Where kids get sex ed at school and then they come home and, you know, similar messages are reinforced at home. And that's why things like advertising and marketing are so effective because you see the same messages over and over again in different mediums. We really want sex ed to be that kind of a a format um, so that when they get to be adults and sexually active, as you were talking about in the swinger community, you know, sex equals condom. There is no negotiation. There's no thoughts. There's no, you know, we want these health associations to be made, but not every kid is getting sex ed at school and not every kid is getting sex ed at home. And in fact, what we see often is parents are very relieved that teachers are going to teach it. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> teachers I get it. Are thinking that, teachers are thinking that they're going to get it at home, so they don't have to teach it, right? And when you put parents and teachers together, and each one is thinking that you know the other is going to be doing this, and then they find out they're not, um, that's where we see you yes. know some of the yeah. you know it's like wow you know why aren't you doing this? The truth is is that everybody has a role to play here, right? Um, right. And that's where it's you know most effective. And I also think that it's it's done a little bit differently. Again, at home, the focus certainly can be on information, but it also has to be on things like you know this is what I this is what I see for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was sitting at the table with my son the other day and, um, and some friends and, um, someone was talking about how they know somebody who's had sex before and they're, they're young teens. Okay. So we were talking about this and what would be an appropriate age to have sex. So then my son, and I don't know where he came up with this, but he <laughs> said, well, I decided that I'm waiting till I'm married to have sex. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's quite interesting to me because I don't recall ever having this discussion. I don't think it's something that I've imparted to him before, but that was something that he came up with. And so my um, my sharing of values at, at that time was to say something to him like, you know, honey, it's totally your choice, um, but I wouldn't be upset if you decided you wanted to have sex before marriage. I said, but what would be important to me is, you know, for my values and what I'd like to see for you is that you be with someone that you care about Mm -hmm. and that somebody cares about you. Mm -hmm. Which is more important than the act of. Yes. And it doesn't have to mean in marriage and so on. But I'm sharing with him what I want to see as a parent Mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds very nice. Yeah. So that's what we mean by sharing our values. Right. That, you know, like what's important to us. And that's what parents, um, you know, primary role in sex ed, I think, is to do um, as well as, you know, some of the other information. But now the, the flip side is true as well. I've seen teachers share their values about what's right or wrong with students when um, it really wasn't their place to do that. Wow. And teachers wow. have to be aware what kind of influence they have when they're in front of a room. So I remember sitting in a room once where a student asked a question about abortion and um, and this teacher went on to say, you know, an abortion is when a woman chooses to kill her baby. Oh, yeah. And, and then continued her sentence. Yeah. So what I do is work with teachers on how to um, talk about these issues that are rooted in values, but in a way that is more objective. Mm-hmm. Right. So an, abor- an abortion is a termination of a pregnancy. Right, right. When I say it like that, nobody knows if I'm for or against. Yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, And I'm not influencing the group. Right. And teachers, you know, have to be aware that standing in front of any group or talking publicly, just as you guys do too, you have an influence, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on what people think and their attitudes and perceptions. So um, that's really the training for teachers is how to take some of the stuff that's really sensitive and to remove your own you know, set of values. Teachers, I always tell them, hang on to your values are totally good for you. Go home and teach them to your kids. Yeah, Mm. yeah, I get that. And and Stephanie, would it not make sense for a teacher or a school or a school board to almost mandate that parents need to come in at the beginning of the year and those teachers teach the parents what they're going to be teaching their kids so they can have be on the same page? I think that's a great idea. Um, I think it's wonderful. And we saw 
some of that happening when the program in Quebec became mandatory. There were a lot of parent groups that were cropping up. Um, but a lot of times what you get at these groups are um, the few voices, which tend to be the minority, but they tend to be louder oh, okay. than others, mm -hmm. um, who are fearful of the sex ed. Mm. So I remember doing a parenting group and some parents, I don't even think I had announced my name yet, but some parent stood up and was shouting, how dare you teach my kid in grade one how to have an orgasm? Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, this of is course. And it was like, oh my goodness, nowhere does the program say that, nowhere is that included, but you know, you're sort of, you know, fighting against these fears. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, we do know that about 95% of parents want their kids to get sex ed mm -hmm. in school, mm -hmm. but it's going to be that 5% who don't, mm. that are always going to be much louder. Right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. And I really like the way that you said about it being like a marketing message. So um, if you start yeah. that same message, whether it's in grade one, and you continue with that message about being healthy, about uh, being careful about the boundaries, all those things you listed. But then by the time they get into adult, uh, adult um, adolescence, like let's just say grade 10, 11, 12, when we're getting a little bit older, and we don't want to talk to our parents, we don't want our parents to know that we're having sex. That's the last person we would go to at that point younger kids would go and ask their parents, but um, they're the ones kind of that need more help because they're probably the ones experimenting with sexuality at that point. So what would you say would be the difference between a, an adolescent who has had a good foundation with those marketing messages of, of boundaries and consent all the way through their education with those that haven't? Do you, is there any stats or anything saying how one is more promiscuous than the other or any other changes? Or beneficial. Yeah. That's such a great question. Um, two things come to mind. One, people that have received sex education and messaging around health are more likely statistically to delay sexual experience, mm -hmm. right? And, and I know that sounds counterintuitive, right? Um, but it's the, you know, sense of knowing and having information that allows them to delay, whereas people where it's shrouded in so much mystery are much more likely to initiate at younger ages. Mm. What we also know is people that have been talked to and given sex education over years are much more likely to do a couple things. One, they're much more likely to talk to their partners about safety mm. because there's been an openness around this subject that allows them to be able to have a level of comfort that other people wouldn't have had, mm -hmm. right? So they're just a little bit more comfortable because it's, you know, they've talked about it for years or they've seen the messages, so they're more able to talk to their partners, which is exactly what we want. We want people to be able to say like, hey, you know, have we thought about birth control or have we, you know, discussed condom use? Like we want that negotiation to go on. Um, and those same group of people that have been receiving messages for years are also more likely to um, talk to uh, doctors and other health experts if there are problems or they have questions. Mm -hmm. So they're also the ones to be more likely to go get tested or to see their doctor if they have questions or go see the nurse. So the ripple effect here um, is seen in so many ways. Um, and the research is pretty clear. <laughs> like, you know, talking to kids about sexuality from a young age um, is very, very beneficial. And I would say that probably body shame and body confidence must follow in that same pattern. Yes. So less body yes. shame with more, more knowledge and more confidence and with more knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, body image issues are a huge, um, you know, a huge problem for most people. We've always talked about them as being sort of a female issue. Um, but we're seeing more and more research in the area of, you know, male identified people. So um, just talking about that, but also there's, there's a, a group of people too, that um, don't necessarily are not necessarily comfortable with their bodies or with their gender as well. And have often been sort of, you know, outcasted or, you know, made to feel even more ashamed. And so part of the sex education is really about inclusivity. Um, it's about uh, acceptance. And it also gives a space for people who may feel different mm -hmm. in terms of their gender identity or their sexual orientation mm -hmm. um, to feel included. So this is also an important piece, too, because we know that people from the LGBTQ plus community um, are often ostracized more. Um, they're four to five, maybe even higher times greater risk 
for um, suicide, um, for all sorts of, you know, really, really scary and problematic kinds of outcomes. We want we want classrooms to be a safe place. Mm-hmm. We want people to be included, um, you know, regardless of their bodies, their identities. Um, and so when we can make people feel seen and heard as part of a group, um, that's probably the greatest gift that we can give to any uh, to any student. Because we don't know in our room who's struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We don't know who's and if we can, different. And if we can just normalize that conversation and not people don't feel ostracized or feel left out or feel shamed by having these differences, um, life is just nicer. It's just better and it's happier place to be. 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of a teacher. Mm-hmm. Also absolutely. a parent. That's the power of a teacher. I often tell teachers that, um, and it's true for most people, most people are not going to remember what you said. Right. I mean, how could they? Students are sitting in classes for seven, eight hours a day. But students will always remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Right. Big Either difference. included or excluded. Yeah, it's a really big difference. Mm-hmm. So that's the power of teachers. Wow. So, Steph, before we I mean, I want to stay in the classroom and before we get into talking about porn and some of the big questions, um, one of the big things that has been around for the last couple of years is the Me Too movement. Um, we know in the swinging community, um, you know, there's three rules, ask first, no means no, and if you don't get an enthusiastic yes, it's a no. Um, respect is paramount. How at young ages are educators taught to teach kids those important rules, which are sometimes um, not even part of their lives? I mean, uh, sexual abuse, potential sexual abuse, is, it could be so dangerous out there, and, you know, uh, we, we live it in the community that we live in, but h- how are kids learning it in, in school today? That's a great question. Um, I think we have gotten better at teaching the notion of consent and prevention abuse over the last several years. That was always one area that was, um, you know, concentrated on. But in previous generations, uh, students were taught things like stranger danger, mm-hmm. for example. You know, which, which um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because certainly not all strangers are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, when you look at the stats of people who, um, you know, without consent touch each other, often they're not strangers. Mm-hmm. Right? They're people that, True. you know, no, one knows. You know. Yeah. So, so we've had to really shift the way that this gets taught. Um, I, I can't speak for how it's being taught across all classes, but I can tell you how I teach teachers. Um, how to teach us. And that is rather than, um, you know, this old notion of sort of good touch and bad touch. As remember, like we, people would talk about like a good touch is a high five and, you know, shaking of the hand. Um, and a bad touch was things like, you know, if you put your hand on someone's, you know, butt or private parts or these kinds of things. The difficulty with that was that um, many people who are survivors of sexual abuse will tell you that even when they knew someone wasn't supposed to be touching them in a sexual way, it still kind of tingled or felt good. Oh, yeah. Right? Like the body responds. Mm-hmm. So even if somebody's not supposed to be touching me and they put their hand, you know, on my vulva, it's still going to, you know, sometimes feel nice or often will feel nice. And that's really, really um, confusing because that's supposed to be a bad touch. Right. And so what happens is a lot of times people will internalize that and say, well, maybe I'm bad, right? Because a bad touch feels good. Mm. It becomes very, very confusing um, for just about anyone, never mind little ones. So the way that I teach it now is instead of good touch and bad touch, I teach it as a good touch and a secret touch. Oh, right. Um, so a secret, we talk about like what are good secrets, what are bad secrets. You know, good secrets are, you know someone's throwing you a surprise party right you know so it's like you can hang on to that one you know but uh, a bad secret is if somebody's touching you um you know and telling you that you're not allowed to tell someone else right because when somebody touches someone else and they're not supposed to be legally typically it's usually going to be like shh don't tell anyone right right so that's exactly when you do tell someone because if somebody has permission, your permission, your consent, and is legally allowed to do it, they would have no reason to say, shh, it's a secret. Right. And do you, right. Teach, that, so, do you teach that with parents? Like uh, the children should be aware of this with parents and their friends too, right? The friends are not allowed to touch yeah. them, but also uh, adults are not allowed to touch them in, in that way as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, and what we do is we make sort of a safe list, like who's allowed to see you naked, who's allowed to touch you, um, because there's some students that are really quite rigid. It's like no one's allowed to, right? And then they go to grandma's and they need help getting into their pajamas, right? And grandma's not allowed to see them naked. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, yeah. because they were, have to make this like safe list, you know? Um, and nurses and doctors have to go on that safe list right. too, because then we have people that go to the doctors and they won't take off their clothes to get examined. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they're quite rigid in their boundaries. Um, so you make a safe list of who's allowed to see you. Right. Uh, and who, you know, who's allowed to touch. And, um, and usually that's quite helpful. Oh, absolutely. And do they know that they have a voice? They can say no. Like, are we, are we teaching them that they can say no? That's a hard one. It's it's a really really hard one, um, and so I teach that. But uh, you know that would be a part of any curriculum that I you know would teach. But you know I I can't say for sure if that's happening everywhere. But the way that I teach that is um, yeah we want to empower people to how to say no, but we also want to match the voice, the intonation, and the body language at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we don't want this like kind of weak looking like no and like giggling, you know, sometimes we giggle, you know, we fold our bodies in when we get uncomfortable. Like if we're saying no, we want to be firm. That's a no. Right. Right. In the way that we use our voice, our intonation, and maybe our body language, we put our hand out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do a lot of work with, with people with autism and special needs, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, for me means making things much clearer. But what I find is that these same strategies work really well for everyone across the board. Yeah, I would say we all want simple, clear, uh, you know, instructions, what to do. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I I think it's important to teach no. Um, And I also think it's important to teach what you guys said before, an enthusiastic yes Mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah. Right. Because consent is not just the absence of a no. It's like, well, you didn't say no, so I have consent. Yes. What does that look like? But, you know, the hardest the hardest group to really teach this to is teenagers and young adults because they just they haven't grown up seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't grown up um, seeing people enthusiastically say yes. So we we have to do that better in media. Right. We right. have to start showing those examples. Cool. Steph, we're going to ask you to hang on for a sec. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about pornography and then those questions your kids are going to bring home. Um, so uh, we're going to take a second. We're going to tell everyone that they already know that we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're chatting with Stephanie Middleman, a sex educator. She is the best of the best out there. And when we come back, it's our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. So hang on. We'll be right back. And we want to invite everyone to join us at Hedonism Resort in Jamaica in December 2020 when we hope everything is going to be getting back to whatever the new normal is going to be in this world. Hedo will be celebrating along with all their loyal guests and with some amazing rates and fantastic food. And they are just celebrating about getting back to normal and being uh, back naked on the beach, which is all what we want to look forward to. So we can't wait to get back home and hope you can join us. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So if you want some information about that or anything else, go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where you can get information about everything sexy and open-minded events in your area and around the world. All right. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're Carol and David, and now you know it's time for our favorite part of the show we get, where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. All right. So let's get into that big point about pornography. Steph, we all know pornography is entertainment, and it is not educational, but it has a purpose out there, and sometimes children do not know what that purpose is. Tell us. Well, I think you've said it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, pornography has always had a place. And and I think, you know, it's been entertainment for years. It's even had therapeutic, um, you know, uses for years. Therapists have often, you know, talked about if you want to learn new pieces or, you know, spice it up or, you know, how to communicate better or how to, you know, engage in different kinds of activities. Pornography has always been used in lots of different ways for entertainment and, uh, you know, therapeutically. Um, the difficulty is really the ease that children have access today. So, you know, we're of sort of the same generation that, you know, when we wanted to watch our porn, we had to watch it either through like a fuzzy, right. snowy yes. screen. <laughs> <laughs> <Been there laughs> that. Black light, yeah. We'd see like a boob. Um, 
or we, you know, had to go to the back of a store through these like swinging doors. You had to be 18 and, you know, pull out a, you know, VHS tape. Oh my God, I'm really dating us. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's but, okay. We get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so there, there, I mean, there weren't tremendous barriers to it. We all had access to it, but it wasn't as easy as being at your fingertips, you know, on your smartphone. When for, you're seven at, years at old. free. Yeah. Yes. And so it's for free. It's much more easily accessible. It's much more available. And so kids are accessing it at a much earlier age. Usually they're accessing porn long before they've had, or they're seeing it, images long before they've had their own sexual experiences. For a lot of people in previous generations, you know, sometimes it would come after. So you've, you've already had a boyfriend or girlfriend and then you would see porn. So there was sort of this baseline for what was real or what wasn't. Um, for kids are growing up on sort of these porn diets, if you will, long before yeah. they're having their own interactions. And the kinds of stuff that they're seeing um, is just a plethora in a way that is different than previous generations. Because previous generations, you, you got your hands on one or two tapes or some magazines. Um, the stuff that's available on the internet today is much more um, of a range, much more of a spectrum, much more advanced in a lot of ways and without context and without, you know, relationship. Yeah. And so, and the kinds of stuff that we really want to impart on our kids today is about consent and how to negotiate and also safer sex practices. And those are notably really the two or three things that are often missing from porn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So this is the stuff that they're seeing, you know, um, in the absence, often I, they're going looking for information because, you know, as sex educators, uh, we're not doing enough. The schools yeah. are not doing enough. Parents are not doing enough um, to talk about this stuff. So they will find it, but they may not find what we want them to find. <laughs> so I, I'm not anti-porn. It's just um, that kids didn't have such easy access and at such a, a young age to such a, a huge degree, uh, you know, of, of imagery. And the kinds of questions I get are often quite skewed, you know, like why, and you know, it comes from porn. It's like, you know, why do women scream when they're having sex? Mm -hmm. Like, know, does it hurt, do right? Like they, they think that it's hurting them. Yeah. And because you see the face yeah. that they're making, it doesn't look pleasurable, not from what the child understands to be pleasure anyways. Yeah. That's right. And also you don't that's see a loving touch. You don't see that the, the relationship that's making this, which we always want them to be caring about the person they're going to have sex with, but they don't see anything loving about it. It's quite a carnal act, um, very physical, and they're not sure what this is all about and is it supposed to be like that. And Or maybe they think that's what it's supposed to be, so they want to do that and they want to just pass on that loving touch. Yeah, I think, you know, by the time people are sort of, you know, teens and young adults, um, they've really seen sort of a robotic kind of um, description of sexual practice. And I think there's also a lot of anxiety around what is expected mm -hmm. of both people involved. And it's like, you know, just taking one example that comes to mind, um, it's very difficult to find porn these days that doesn't include acts of anal sex, for right. example. Yeah, yes. Right. And for lots of people, they're very into anal sex. It's very pleasurable. It's something they, you know, enjoy very much. But equally so for lots of people, it's an activity that uh, is not comfortable or is not something they're interested in. Um, but if your only messaging has been from pornography, then it might tell you, well, this is something that you have to be doing mm -hmm. or you should be doing or you're not normal if you're not doing. Right. Right. Or yeah. loving yes. for that matter. Yes. <laughs> so, Steph, so I, I, I have the big question. And you can give your educator opinion or your personal opinion. But as a parent, you walk into your child's room and they're sitting there watching porn. What do you say? Start with start well, with a 10-year-old. Start with a 10-year-old because I think it's going to be different. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really glad that you're asking this because this is somewhere that my both my professional and my personal actually are the same. Um, so... I, the message I've always given my kids and always told parents to give to their kids is that, you know, sexuality or touching, um, self-touch or, you know, watching porn, where if we're talking about 10, 11, 12, we're not talking about a five-year-old, um, it's not, it's not problematic. It's your body. Certainly you can do that, but 
you cannot do it when other people are around, right? That's the message. A message has always been one of privacy. So if I walk into my child's room and they're watching porn, I assume they're self-touching as well. Yes. Um, or, you know, maybe I'm just adding to that scenario. I would excuse myself and close the door and say, I'm sorry, you know, I, I didn't realize and I can't be in here, you know, at this time. Okay. The message is that you can do that as long as somebody's not in the room. Now, the message that I follow it up with is, is something I've been consistent about, too, um, with my own um, child is that, you know, you're going to see images and videos and online um, that sometimes feel different than how we feel in this home and how we feel in this home. And these are my values are that men and women are equal to each other. And that sex is used as one way, not only for pleasure, but for expressing your love and connection to someone else and feeling close to someone else. Um, and sometimes you might see images online um, that go against what we believe. But I want you to know that we believe that, you know, uh, everybody uh, is equal and, um, you know, everybody deserves pleasure and my preference would be that you experience pleasure with somebody that you care about and that cares about you. Great. Wow. So we can't. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we're not going to stop internet porn. I, you know, we've, we're just at the beginning here. I think like we're, we're not going to be able to eradicate it. So what we have to do is just go, we, we have to go against what, um, meaning the images that our kids are seeing, we have to give them our values. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And let them know they're going to see stuff that doesn't match up with what we believe. Mm -hmm. For me, the most important piece is, is that, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking of my son, that I raise a son uh, who is a future partner. Right? So I always have that in mind. And I want my son to treat whoever they partner with, um, with respect. Mm -hmm. And with kindness and, and with, you know, care, we don't always see that in porn. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Right. So that's the kind of stuff I want to counteract. Yeah. And, right? and the issue with porn, I, sorry, I just want to point out, it's really not about penises and vaginas and anuses. And like, it's really not about the actual acts that that stuff is kind of, you know, easy, if you will. It's, it's really about the relationship stuff. Yeah. yeah. I would tend to issue. agree with you. And especially for a man, I'm going to say, because they're expected to be macho. Even today, we, w we wish that things have changed, but we are expecting men to be macho and strong and, you don't want them to feel it. They have to be strong and overbearing over the woman, which is really what we see in standard porn. I would like to also state that if you're watching more femme porn, more feministic porn, often made by female directors, you will see a lot more loving relationships and a lot less of that domination of the men's power over her. So if you if you can in some way encourage your children your young adults or whatever, whoever you can influence to watch more feministic porn, that at least is a little bit more realistic than is, and it's still all produced, you know, sex acts. But as a parent, I, as a parent, you're going to encourage your child to watch a different type of porn. And I'm not saying a 10 year old. I'm saying if you're, let's say your 18 year old is watching porn every night, you would might encourage the 18 year old. You're not going to stop them or your 25 year old child. Cause you know, well, we have great children discussion to have with yeah. your child. Yes, absolutely. But the one thing that I do want to mention now, and that's because it, it always bothers me, but I'm going to mention it now. And I put it out there that I think young children are also getting the bad rap watching porn, expecting to their penis to grow as big as the porn star's penis. And when it doesn't, they feel that they're not normal. So that normal, that discussion, I would also think, you know, encourage parents to have with their children. Those images are porn stars. That perfect pussy and that perfect cock are not real. What about the tits? Yes, and those tits are not real. And so uh, our bodies don't usually look like that and not to feel bad when your body doesn't turn out that way, which I think a lot of shame is coming from that. My opinion. I agree. And you talked about body image before. Absolutely. And that's a part of, you know, we've been focusing in schools on social media literacy, but uh, we also want to include elements of porn literacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what yes. is it that we're watching? What is it that we're reading? Um, so, yeah, a lot of people hold themselves, you know, uh, you know, to an impossible standard yeah. because they don't look like porn stars. And that's exactly what makes them porn stars, because they've got these assets that most people don't. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 
So yes. all important messaging. Um, and to your point about feminist porn, I, I certainly think that it's really, um, it's a different genre. And I think it's a powerful, you know, uh, even more educational tool. But the difficulty is that most of the time when somebody logs on to a porn site or, you know, just types in porn, they're, what's coming up for them is not feminist right. porn. No, right? I get you it. Know, it. I get it. But a lot of people are not even aware that it's out there. So I just like to bring it up, you know. True. Yeah. Yeah. I support that fully. So um, fully. I, I love the fact that we're in this part of the show where we're talking about the discussion between parents and child. So here's another big one for you, Steph. What if your child comes home with a sexual question and as a parent, you don't know the answer? I hope that happens. Mm. I hope that happens because it's a really powerful moment, right? Um, It's a learning in itself to be able to say, that's a really great question. I don't know the answer to that, but come, let's go find out together, Mm -hmm. okay? What's powerful about that is a few things. One, um, it sets a precedence that not everybody has all the answers all the time. Yeah. And that we're all human. Um, And just because we're older doesn't mean that we need to have the answer. But it's also an opportunity to be able to show your child how to look something up, Mm -hmm. right, in in a positive way. So instead of just Googling it, I would, you know, recommend a couple of sites that I know are trustworthy, like the Society of Obstetricians, Gynecologists of Canada have put out a terrific website. Uh, It's called Mm sexualityandyou.ca. Um, and what I love about it, it's so well vetted and it goes through the hands of dozens of professionals before they publish anything because the internet, anybody can put up anything they want. Um, but this is so well researched and there's a section for teachers and curriculum. There's a section for parents and answering questions. There's also a section for students. Um, and they cover everything from body parts to pregnancy I know this is the, the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, but they go well beyond birth control. They talk about consent. They talk about LGBTQ+, um, talk about healthy relationships. So they really do, I think, a fantastic job. So I hope that um, parents and children have the opportunity to find where they can get the right answers mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Uh, and that's like learning. Yeah. No, that's really great stuff. Thanks for all those recommendations, recommenda- recommended sites as well. We'll post those on our website as well so that they, the links can be handy for everybody who's listening. Um, now our show has come to an end. And the thing Already? is that I can't believe it. This hour has passed so quickly. But we really like to leave our audience with uh, some final advice or in this case, perhaps just a recap of what we talked about Um what would you say would be the best advice that you could give a parent who's sitting down to talk about sex to their child, whether it's a preteen or a young adolescent? Um, I, I would say do smaller chunks and more often. Mm-hmm. I think that's where parents sometimes get a little nervous. They think they need to have like one big talk. Um, and sexuality is a regular part of life like anything else. We don't teach people how to run, walk, and eat and do their hygiene all in one sitting. We don't teach all the arithmetic they need to know all in one sitting. Um, you know, so so do it in smaller chunks. Use the media, right? When you're watching something and something sexual or relationship comes up, use it as sort of, you know, way to uh, bounce off. Um, and also car rides, like mm-hmm. talking about sex and doing something, you know, uh, doing something else at the same time walking the dog or on a car ride car rides are particularly good because nobody can jump out <laughs> you hope <laughs> <laughs> and you don't you hope exactly and you don't have to force eye contact that's really important too because it's a little awkward to talk about this stuff and some people are better and some genders are better at eye contact than others too um females tend to be notoriously better at eye contact than males mm-hmm. um just statistically so you you want to be engaging in something else, you're chopping vegetables for dinner, you're walking the dog, car rides, that kind of stuff, and bring it up as sort of a no big deal. It's just one part of everything we do. Mm, Um, And that way our kids are going to be more likely to come and talk to us uh, throughout their own development and over those years. Wow. Absolutely fantastic way to end. Um, One of our favorite shows of the year, we always do something related to sex education before everybody goes back to school. Stephanie Middleman, thank you so much for being here. All this amazing information. We will definitely have you back. Why don't you tell everyone how they can find you online, websites, or in class? Oh, thank you. 
Um, yeah, I, I have a full website for educational materials um, for teachers and for parents. Um, so the website is sexedmart.com. So S-E-X-E-D-M-A-R-T.com. And you can reach me at info at sexedmart.com. Well, so and thank you guys. Our pleasure. And if you missed any of that information, you can just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where you, every one of our guests does have their own guest page, including Stephanie Middleman. She'll have her page there and all of her information. And those links she mentioned during the show will be there available for everybody at that point. Oh, and we're learning more and more every week, and we hope you do too. And we just want to take a moment to remind everybody about our partnership with Alt Playground. Yep, if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, then you should join altplayground.net. That's A-L-T, playground.net. It's a lifestyle site that's expanding to include lots of amazing lifestyle resources that will connect you with other sexy, like-minded folks. And they also have a great section for podcasts, which ours is there as well. Yeah, and remember to stay sexy, stay healthy, and follow all the suggested protocols issued by your local health authorities. Wash your hands, avoid touching your face, practice social distancing. And if you're in one of those locations where the cases are still skyrocketing, just stay home. And wear a mask. <laughs> yes, and wear a mask. And continue to listen to our show, of course, and visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com. And if you have any questions at all, please send us an email at ask at carolyndavid.com. Well, that's it for our show today. Stephanie Middleman, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. And as always, we have to thank all our listeners, all one million of them, for being there week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex and sexuality and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for today. Remember, everyone, stay safe and, of course, stay sexy. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.